Hello, my name is Chris White and welcome to a new year on the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast where we're going back in the time machine to January of the year 2001 for all your WWF coverage, including a full review of the 2001 Royal Rumble pay-per-view. Joining me this month, we have Mr. ECW himself, Chris Lacey. How are we doing, sir? Wonderful. It's nice to you know come to a company that doesn't hemorrhage money on a weekly basis and pays its talent not anymore at least no not <laughs> anymore and rounding off the month we are joined by dan welling dan good to have you back on a pleasure as always boys just just pray for me trying to distinguish between the two chrises whenever i talk in that, that will be the, that would be really helpful for all the listeners if you could just help me out here that'd be great i'll just swear load still okay yeah yeah, if you're throwing if you're throwing to Lacey, drop a swear word in there, and we'll be we'll know we we'll know where we stand. Um, as regular listeners of all three editions of the show monthly will know, uh, these days things are far less newer, newsworthy on the WWF side of things than they seem to be in WCW and ECW month to month. Um, and the biggest news stories generally at the moment are coming from. WWF TV and pay-per-views and on-screen storylines. We get the few backstage bits and pieces here or there, but at the moment, relatively calm and drama-free, positive stuff for the WWF. But as we have Chris Lacey on here, there have been some developments, as we mentioned, in the ECW side of things that uh, pertain to the WWF. So Lacey, could you run us through some of the talent rumoured to be coming in and we can kind of break down how we think they'll get on in the Fed. So the ECW alumni that have been offered contracts are Ratface Knacker, Just Incredible, Rhino, Tajiri, Jerry Lynn, um, but surprisingly enough, no RVD. Yes, so no RVD and reports are this month that uh, there's been a number of people in WWF who have like gone out of their way to make it known that they are not fans of RVD. The guy and how he is backstage and how he handles himself seems to be a lot of sort of heat from the boys almost towards RVD from inside uh, the WWF locker room and uh, quite a few negative reports around going about him at the moment. Lacey, uh, I feel like you're going to take that quite personally. Yeah, I think it's more they're scared of the brilliance of RVD more than RVD being a bad egg. Um, yeah, he's a stoner. You know, there's people that are in and about in that place that are just as bad and have been getting away with it for years. So, you know, Road Dog, no different to RVD. And to be fair, RVD's never been a liability on a show. So I, I do think that's, that sounds very much more of a we don't want him here because he's too good and we're worried about our spots more than a it, he's a bad egg and we don't like him. Dan, uh, what do you make of the reports that WWF not too interested at RVD, in RVD at this stage? Yeah, I, I would definitely be perplexed about if i was in his shoes i think of all like we voted rhino as the future main eventer coming into the the end of the year awards but i think we all know that rvd is a level above him in terms of his talent in terms of his charisma so to miss out on that sort of level of talent 
is perplexing all the met um i know there's i think there's some rumors that wcw might be looking to him as a as a mid-level top guy to bring in um with the new reset that they're doing so maybe maybe they're kind of thinking we don't want to have someone who's who's having other offers on the table but yeah I, i'm more along the lines of chris lacy here and in terms of i can get just a sense of triple h just having a little couple of words in the background to make sure that he's not being brought in um but yeah i think they'll be foolish to miss out on someone who's as talented as him so out of the other names that you mentioned there who've been offered contracts uh lacy who do we think kind of has that the highest potential in terms of potentially being a WWF main eventer. Obviously we highlighted Rhino at the end of the year awards and how quickly do you think something like that could happen for Rhino? I mean, it all depends on what they do with him and if they give him a new gimmick or anything like that, it's always impossible to say, but I mean, there's, there's different trajectories here. We've got, you've got Taz and you've got pretty much any other guy that they bring in where it goes slightly better. See, you know, that is my worry of, Someone like Rhino, Tajiri, even Jerry Lynn comes in and they get tazzed. Um, I was going to bring it up when we do the Rumble review of, holy fuck, what a difference a year makes. Um, but then you look at what they've done with the Dudleys and, you know, they can handle the talent properly and let them still be a lighter version of what they were in ECW. With Rhino, he's that sort of person that if I was booking him for the Fed, chuck him in the European title sort of picture, maybe have him have a run at the King of the Ring, you know, and build him for a year and then give him a good showing in next year's Rumble. You know, get past Mania 18 and then you've got someone who's had a year behind them of being a big because I would keep him as he is as a sort of beast, you know, get him running through RTC, get him running through Too Cool, you know there's enough of that light heavyweight to lower title reign people that he could run through that you you can then get him to a point where, say in May next year he's at that point where he can then start to challenge for one of the top belts, you know, if it's an intercontinental belt or it's in a tag run or even the world belt, you know, and do something like that with him. Um, Tajiri, obviously we all know how awesome Tajiri is. My only issue with Tajiri is we've seen what the Fed does with anyone who's not American or at least, you know, North American I could see him getting a mute gimmick where, you know, either he's the butt of jokes, a.k.a. Kyantai style, you know, with choppy choppy pee-pee and being lobbed out of rumbles 15 times. Or he will just be sort of lost in the mix. Um, Because I said, they're not really pushing the light heavyweight title much, which could be to his detriment. But again, with Tajiri, you could put in the tag team and world's oyster and you know you've got a decent tag division in the fed that could do with a team to contain Tajiri. and you know if they were to go out of their way and pick up mikey it'd be wonderful um jerry lynn's the one that i feel the worst for i really don't see 
what he does in the Fed because, yeah, you could put him in with the Radicals and get amazing matches for technical style, but he can't talk and he is very small for his build. I think he's the one that will suffer the most. Dan, what do you make of those guys and do you sort of have more optimistic outlook for Jerry Lynn or are you of the same sort of persuasion? Uh, no, I completely agree with those. See, Jerry <laughs> Lynn is going to be end up on uh, Sunday Night Heat um, wrestling the second match in the cards every time against you know Dean Malenko for 10 minutes and I think he may have like one or two appearances on Raw the entire year. It, it's just He's just there as a hand, which is unfortunate for someone who's as amazing as he is in the ring but he's just not at the level. Like if Dimalenko can't get at that level and could barely get anywhere, I, I really doubt that for Jerry then. Uh, I will go out on a limb and make some predictions for the year ahead for all four of the others. So Tajiri will be a kind will be Kai and tight, um, as as Lacey also said. Maybe have a couple of, you know, unique um matches with the, his style, but eventually he'll just turn into another Takamichinoku and be sidelined into the comedic Japanese foreign, you know, weirdo culture that the WF are very, very prone to doing. Um, just incredible. He will be with Road Dog or X Park, considering that he is an X Click member. I have no idea whether he'll be a tag team partner or like the pesky heel manager or something like that, but I can see him easily end up with X Park or Road Dog. Rhino will be Edge and Christian's heavy. He built. He was with them in Canada for all of their indie runs. It makes sense for them to have a heavy, as if they want to be a significant force throughout the year, just to bring something different to the table. Um, and I think Spike Dudley was offered the contract, wasn't he as well? Uh, there has. There's been rumoured that he's been looked at, but they haven't officially yeah. given the contract yet. I mean, that makes sense. If it, I mean, if he does come in, then that's just going straight to the Dudley. So then there's a trios sort of thing with Lita, Spike, and, and Rhino. Um, I know somebody else I've completely forgotten who the other person was I do apologise but yeah in, in, in short I don't see any of them being in the upper mid upper mid car by the end of this year at least um, but Rhino I still maintain has the best chance of getting there in one to two years if he has joined WWF I think I actually said in the end of the year awards show that he is a future main eventer if he's in WCW and he's not in WCW anymore so I, I'm not sure if that's a, a good sign for his future development or not. There'd be plenty of worse places for him to come in onto the card than to be paired with Edge and Christian because, I mean, they're pretty hot acts as far as the tag division go. And the tag scene, um, Lacey, you mentioned Chijiri may be trying to find his feet in that division in the Fed. I think for anyone at the moment coming in, if you can get yourself partnered up and you've got a team with some decent chemistry, the amount of good teams you've got to work with in matches that are going to be hot. Like even if you're in there as a heel team and you're against too cool, the crowd's probably going to be into it. Like you don't even need to work the Dudleys, the Hardys or Edging Christian to necessarily get a really good tag match these days. Um, yeah. It's one of those of, as you say, you can quite easily, even as a sort of a, a start point, 
put Lynn and Tajiri together as a tag team just to sort of, you know, get them in the door and get the faces seen. Because, you know, who I, I can guarantee anyone that's watching the Fed now will not remember Justin as Aldo Montoya. You know, that that's not going to be a callback that they can go to. Rhino obviously has that look that he will impress people on first viewing. Tajiri with the mist and stuff again will impress people on first viewing because it's something out out of the box. But it's it is Lynn is the one that you just look at and go, you're you're gonna be wasted here. I think it'll be a, a an amazement if we even see the mist. To be honest with you, I think I don't I don't know. It might be seen as something that Vince would be like, oh, that's a bit stupid, and cut it. I'd hope he doesn't. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's something that is entirely unique that they've never done, and it it could be amazing. Like, but given what happened with with other ECW times with Taz, and what they initially started doing with the Dudley Boys, and for they took them a few months to get going. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But I'm not holding out good hopes for someone that has as vicious as Tajiri. Like, we are not going to get Kiwi Buzz or vicious. Tajiri with his, you know, absolutely amazing work rate style. Let's put it that way. I'll, I'll be stunned if we get that. Although there would be plenty of awesome matches that he could have um, if they were to put him in that spot, which is kind of like half the battle, really. And yeah. I, I think I mean, a lot of these guys could easily just end up in that hardcore tile scene, like right Jesus off the bat, Christ. and just completely lost in the shuffle, sort of day one. I mean, um, yeah. I, saying that, saying that, I would love to see Steve Blackman versus Jerry. <laughs> yes. That would be a good fight. I'd I'd pay money for that one. Yeah, I I I think it's not it's not necessarily all doom and gloom, but out of the the crop that we know, um, I don't see like a a ready made WWF star. Um, and a lot of that is to do with the guy running the company rather than <laughs> necessarily some of the talent on show. Um, but I think there's some good pickups there um, and definitely a lot of potential. Like we highlighted Rhino in, in the award show for good reason. Um, that placement, as you mentioned, down with Edge and Christian is really intriguing to me. I think that would be really good. And uh, we'll have to see how things develop over the next couple of months and when guys start turning up and on TV, and uh, if things progress on the RVD front, whether it is WCW or WWF, um, he'll be a hell of a pickup for whoever can get him. And something tells me that a talent like RVD, if he does end up in the Fed, eventually somehow, he's he's too good to be tazzed right off the bat. I mean, they can try, but I feel like when he gets in the ring, the fans are going to like what they see, and it's not it's not going to be quite quite as easy to sideline him in the way they found themselves doing over the last 12 months with Taz. And, you know, there is obviously still that idea that there may be uh, the pay-per-view that they're planning to do in March. So, you know, we might find that none of these guys end up coming over because Paulie's, you know, going to run living dangerously. Yeah, it's all up in the air for now, but um, definitely uh, some rumours out there, so... Uh, worth mentioning is sort of trying to see where potentially guys would fit in on the WWF roster. And the 
the starter. Where did Triple H come from? Damn Triple H! Damn his soul! So, um, to the WWF TV, one of the biggest storylines, kind of the main event storyline spanning uh, the top of the card at the moment, heading into the new year, was Stone Cold Steve Austin's uh, obsession with recapturing his WWF title. So, the first Raw of the year, we had three qualifying matches, um, and the winners of each were going to go on to a triple threat match um, to earn a number one contendership for that WWF title. And Austin, in fact, lost his qualifier against William Regal, thanks to some shenanigans from Stephanie McMahon. Believe it or not, Regal, with that win, 2-0 and against Dan Cortese of Austin. So that same week on SmackDown, we had one hell of an angle with uh, Austin getting his revenge on Regal. Regal arrived at the building in a limo provided by Stephanie. Austin jumps him, beats him down, uses... Uh, Beats him down, slams his head into the limo and leaves him laying over the front of the vehicle. Austin climbs into the driver's seat, backs the limo up with Regal still on the hood. Rams in, uh, rams the limo forward into a pile of boxes. Regal goes flying. Austin reverses, drives the car back into the pile several times. And later we see Regal taken away from the arena in an ambulance. Austin's then gunning for revenge against Stephanie McMahon. But uh, Vince intervenes. He offers uh, he offers uh, Austin a deal, and he says he can change the record. Austin's loss to Regal will have never happened. Regal will have been disqualified, and as a result, Austin could advance to the triple threat match for the number one contendership. Vince adds that should Austin win that match, the title shot would be the next week on Raw. But there is a condition, uh, and Austin must agree not to harm Stephanie. Austin responds by calling Vince a jackass for making him choose between revenge on Stephanie and a title shot, but eventually agrees not to harm daddy's little girl. He enters that triple threat match against The Undertaker and Kane. And before the end of that segment, he lays Vince out with a stunner for good measure. And as a result of that, Vince books himself as the referee of the triple threat match. So during that match, it came as the close on the first SmackDown of the month. Rikishi interfered to attack The Undertaker. Austin took advantage of the distraction, nailing Taker with a stunner. And would you believe it, Vince McMahon counts the one, two, three. And Stone Cold Steve Austin gets a WWF Championship shot on the next episode of Raw. Vince, for what it's worth, explained why he counted the pin on that episode of Raw. He said, and I quote, this is a new year. I want to show everyone I'm a new man by putting my past with Austin behind me. If I and, me and Austin can get along, then why can't our politicians get along? And why can't the Middle East have peace? I'll just leave that one hanging. <laughs> so in the main event of the 8th of January episode of Raw, Kurt Angle defends the WWF Championship against Stone Cold Steve Austin. Angle made his way out first. Uh, Austin came out, snatched the belt from Earl Hebner, posed with it. Angle protests. Uh, so Ang Austin just drapes the belt on the mat and dares Angle to come and get it. Angle goes in, but Austin jumps him and the match is underway. Amidst the back and forth, about five minutes in, William Regal runs in, brandishing a lead pipe. Austin catches him, grabs a chair and cracks Regal with it and takes him out of the equation. We cut to the final stretch of the match. Angle's looking for the Olympic slam. Austin blocks, goes for a stunner, but Angle shoves Austin into the ropes, looks for the clothesline, but Austin ducks and hits the stunner. He goes for the cover. Hebner counts the one, two, and is pulled out of the ring by a returning Triple H. Matches over by disqualification. 
Austin and Triple H exchange looks. JR's going ballistic on commentary, cursing Triple H for costing Austin the title. Austin turns back to Angle, uh, throws him out of the ring and dares Triple H to come to face him. Triple H climbs in the ring. They stare at each other and eventually come to blows and the crowd goes wild. Triple H gets the advantage. Austin comes back and connects with a big right, stomps him out to the floor. Austin goes out after him, knocks Hunter over the announce table, but Triple H grabs a pipe brought out by Regal, clubs Austin with it in the face. Austin goes flying across the table and is bleeding profusely from the forehead, but continues the fight. Triple H nails Austin two more times with a pipe, and Austin's a bloody mess as he's dumped on the table, with Hunter standing over him and posing as JR continues to curse Hunter out as the show fades to black. So there we have it. Stone Cold number one contender loses his title match thanks to the return of Triple H after an excellent Raw main event. Dan, what did you make of all of that the first couple of weeks of the year of TV? I really enjoyed it. Um, we finally, I feel like we've got out of this Austin slump. So we've had a little bit of a return of the, the wacky hit, wacky instances with vehicles that we we love so dearly and like the lead up to WrestleMania 15 with the beer truck and the Zamboni. And now we have him in a limo, you know. It's, so Austin in vehicles is always money. The match with Angle is probably one of the best Raw main events we've we've ever had. I, I really enjoyed this match. Um, not you had the story of of Austin winning the brawling, but as soon as the it got into the ring, Angle just took control. Like he had gut wrench suplexes, back suplexes, vertical suplexes, German suplexes. He just it's so good to see Austin, you know, performing quite nimbly now in the ring, and it's not all brawling, you know. So that's a little thing. They've managed to give Kurt Angle a shine as like this wrestling you know, really good wrestling technician that we know he is, and we finally got to see it against the main eventer because, God damn it, Undertaker's not going to give him that option. It's about time one of the old guard in Austin did it. And, yeah, I thought that the it, for the purposes of storyboarding, having Triple H cost Austin the title was the right thing to, was the right thing to do. Again, I, I think we all know this. I wish this was Triple H's return after being dropped from the car rather than just from after Hell in the Cell. Um, I think it would have been way more impactful. It would have added so much more weight to the upcoming, you know, mega match that these two are going to have next month. Um, and it, yeah, I just think it would have been a lot better. But like, I can't deny how invested the crowd are in, in this scenario. Triple H, you know, still is the top here in the company. He still is such a badass, you know, with the with his look um, and what he did. Um, throughout the rest of the month. So I yeah, I, I have no complaints about this this angle so far really. I think it's all good. I think everyone came out of it looking better than where they were last month. I had the exact same note as you. Um I wish this was Hunter's return from Survivor series and they just left him out last month. I don't think it would have been any problem to do so. I don't think it would have hurt Armageddon at all. And uh would have made this a hell of a lot more impactful. Um yeah, I agree as well. I think it was one of the best Raw main events we've had. Um, a proper sort of pay-per-view style match. It went about 12, 13 minutes before the uh, interference and the disqualification. Um, obviously, it's a, a cheap finish, but you're going to get that <laughs> when you've got a title match on Raw um, more often than not. And uh, especially when you're just weeks away from the Rumble and, and sort of... Uh, 
WrestleManias on the horizon. And uh, it played into the story and the rivalry of Austin and Hunter perfectly. And we had a couple of weeks of, yeah, like you say, Austin getting back to the old Stone Cold um, and the old wackiness that everyone knows and loves kind of in the best possible sense and not so much of the Austin we saw against Rikishi um, and even the Survivor Series ending, which while Austin was involved in stunts, and, and and vehicles and whatnot, it's, they didn't really work in the same way that um, some of the old Austin angles had. And this was definitely uh, the stuff with the limo. Felt like the old Austin. Uh, the main event with Angle was. It felt like it was Austin at his peak again, and uh, the return of Hunter was pretty awesome as well. Perfectly timed, and uh, yeah, builds to the rivalry they've got going. Obviously, we'll cover it later in the show, but. They've got a big match coming up next month, and uh, it it just um, all played into it perfectly, really. Um, Lacey, I I know you haven't caught too much at WWF TV um, around the month, but uh, did you have uh, any points on sort of like the Kurt angle? Uh, yeah, the Kurt and uh, Austin match and the return of Triple H and kind of that whole storyline. Yeah, so as you've both said. <clears throat> this should have been the return for Hunter post Survivor Series. You know, he got dropped out of a fucking car off the forklift, you know. <laughs> He's back two weeks later with not even a scratch. Fuck off, you know. I remember back in the day when, you know, someone got hurt with something and they were written off TV for a couple of months, you know, and that was just like a broken arm something you know this is something that would kill a normal mortal and he's back to a week later jog off you know if they'd have done this would have armageddon lost anything no would it actually been more impactful yes you know sometimes they do hurt themselves more than they need to obviously on the raw that i watched i did watch the the bit of the uh austin and angle match and fuck me angle is a machine and that's easy one of austin's best matches in years you know that, that would, i don't know whether being in there with someone like angle made sort of either lit a fire in his ass or gave him the the belief that he can still go but yeah it was better than the traditional austin that we've been seeing especially recently since he's come back a punch stomp punch stomp punch stomp stunner so yeah i'm all for angle and austin matches we'll have more of those um obviously i saw bits of obviously how austin had got to the matches and the terrorizing and stuff and yeah it's good to have the old stone cold back and I think uh, with that in the books, it's time for us to jump to the Royal Rumble pay-per-view and to review that show. I'm hoping uh, that one of you will have the results yes, to hand. As always, Chris. I, I can count on you, Dan. Perfect. Would you kindly take us through the results of the Royal Rumble pay-per-view? For the record, I am not going through every single entrant in the Royal Rumble. I am not a masochist like our previous <laughs> overlord would make us do. Leave, leave that leave that to me for the match review <laughs> <laughs> so the dudley boys defeated edge and christian to win the wwf tag team titles 
Chris Jericho defeated Chris Benoit in the ladder match to win the WWF Intercontinental Championship. Ivory defeated China to retain the WWF Women's Championship. Kurt Angle defeated Triple H to retain his, his uh, WWF title. And the winner of the 2001 World Rumble match was Stone Cold Steve Austin for the third time by last eliminating Kane. Lacey, what did you make of the Royal Rumble show? This is, and I'm going to blow it early, one of the best Rumble shows of all time. Um, obviously, we all know that how much I loved last year's, so obviously we went on about it during the, the awards last month, but this is easily one of the, if not the best Rumble show as a whole. Not the best Rumble, because that's still 92, as a Rumble match, but as a, as a Rumble show, this is amazing. Dan, what did you make of it? I second Lacey in that this, in my opinion, is not just one of the best. I think it is the best Royal Rumble pay-per-view we've ever had. Does it have the best match in Royal Rumble history? No, that's still from last year. Does it have uh, the best Royal Rumble match ever? Arguably, no. 92 is still incredibly good, but from top to bottom on this card, what we got was sensational. Yeah, I, I think uh, this was a, an outstanding show. Um, it, and it was a, a really good Rumble match, um, which obviously helped, but the, the ladder match, the opening tag, and even Triple H angle. Um, I mean, when you've got a uh, five-match show, and four of them are excellent, and one of them lasts two minutes. Um, you're going to have a good time for three hours or so. Um, and, yeah, one of the best shows that I think I've covered for this um, podcast. It was so good. Um, and I think that speaks volumes. When I would agree, I don't think it's got a match as good as some other Rumble pay-per-views, and I don't necessarily think this was the best Rumble match of all time. I agree entirely with that, but as a pay-per-view on the whole, this was so good. And uh, I feel like um, we had a few excellent shows last year from the Fed, but they did seem to lose their way a bit as the year went on, and we've kind of bounced back into the year 2001 in the best possible way. Um, and opened with arguably one of the best pay-per-views they've had in years. So, um, yeah, three, three very positive initial thoughts on this show. So let's break it down. The opening video package hypes up the Royal Rumble match uh, with the winner earning a shot for the WWF title at WrestleMania. They highlighted Steve Austin, The Rock, The Undertaker and Kane as the four favourites for the match. We had a big pyro display as JR announced that we had over 17,000 fans in attendance and the Dudleys uh, made their way to the ring. They entered as challengers for the WWF Tag Team Championships in our opening match. We saw some highlights shown from the previous Raw where Edge and Christian hit Dudley, uh, hit the Dudleys with concertos in backstage segments. And the story going in is that the Dudleys may have concussions. So the Dudleys attack right at the belt and the champions bail out the ring. Dudleys chase after them in the aisle. 
Back inside, Devon hits a neck breaker on edge before the Dudleys hit a double team shoulder tackle. Bubba tags in. He launched Christian into the air, hits a slam. He hits a sidewalk slam on Christian for two. And uh, Bubba then grabs his head to begin selling the concussion storyline. Devon's back in before Edge tags in and hits Devon with a body slam for two. Christian hits a forearm to the head that the referee doesn't see. And Devon's selling the head injury quite a lot here as Edge stomps away to keep him down. Edge hits a belly-to-back suplex before Christian's in with a side Russian leg sweep and follows up by slamming Devon's head into the mat. The Hills carrying on working over Devon in the corner. Edge hits a neck breaker, but Bubba breaks up the pin. Christian and Edge make some quick tags before Edge slaps on a chin lock to Devon to keep him grounded before Devon eventually fights free, but Edge cuts him off with a neck breaker. Fans, the fans begin chanting for tables as Christian works over Devon some more. Edge looks for a pile driver, but Devon counters, gives Edge a catapult into Christian against a turnbuckle before Devon rolls up Edge for a near fall, followed by a double down clothesline spot. Devon eventually gets the tag, but the ref isn't looking and sends Bubba back to the corner. Meanwhile, Edge and Christian go for the concerto, but Devon ducks it. Devon eventually gets the hut tag to Bubba, who hits the Bubba bomb on Christian. Then the Dudleys team up to hit the was up on Edge. Bubba then orders Devon to get the tables, but Christian cuts him off and prevents him from doing so. Christian attempts an unprettier on Bubba, but uh, Devon cuts it off. They go for a 3D, but Edge spears Bubba and Christian turns a flapjack into a DDT. Edge goes for the cover, but Bubba kicks out at two. Christian grabs Bubba's leg and Edge goes up top as they muck the what's up move. However, Bubba flips over and reverses the position holding Christian down and Devon pushes Edge off the top rope, causing him to hit a diving headbutt to Christian's groin. The Dudleys follow up with a 3D on Edge and Devon gets the cover for the pin and the victory and the Dudley boys are the new tag team champions. Lacey, what do you think of our opening match? This is one of the things that normally the fed struggle with is a good opener that just sort of perfectly paces out the show fuck me they hit it out of the park with this one this was awesome you know it it was the perfect opening match you know the dudleys didn't go full dudley and put people through tables and do all the hardcore shit that we expect from them edge and christian you know, their storytelling made sense that obviously with the concussion angle going in, the Dudleys wrestling their way into it and winning. French Kiss, love this. Thank you very much. Awesome opener and my boys win the belts. What more can I like? Dan, over to you. Again, I echo Lacey. This was a brilliant little opener. Um, investment from the crowd. Like the Dudleys were celebrating as if they won the Super Bowl at the end of it, which shows you just how much they cared and how much everyone should be caring about their win. The action was awesome. We had the comedy crap with Edge and Christian, you know, with the buzz up. I mean, what more do you want? Great wrestling, great comedy, great investment. For an opening match, just spot on. Uh, and it's nice to see these two teams have a proper, you know, straight up tag match with no tables or, or chairs or ladders involved because um, I don't think these two have had one and uh, it has met, predominantly it's been about the Edge and Christian and the Hardys when, the, when it comes to this but it's nice to see the Dudleys get involved too and show that they can go just as well as the other two high flyers so 
Yep, double thumbs up from me. All good. Yeah, this was an excellent tag team match. Um, only went about ten minutes, but um, it, I mean, it was it went like perfectly for the crowd. Like a, the crowd were like absolutely on fire for this match. Um, and I liked as well that they had a fairly traditional tag match. Like, and these two teams, as you say, haven't really done that all that often with with many other teams on pay-per-view there's always a lot of gimmickry and whatnot going on um in the tag division especially with the the teams that are involved in the title picture more often than not and uh yeah this was far more traditional like so many classic tag team tricks false tags near falls after some cheating and then eventually the the dudleys the baby faces get the win um the only kind of minor point for me and there's nothing on the match but i like if you're going to do like a an injury angle and like a team's hurt going into a match and they're selling an injury like can we not do like absolutely disgusting head <laughs> chair shots to the head and, and with like storyline concussions like can we not like tweak a knee or something like and work over that body part instead rather than just working over the skull with, with chair shots that's that's probably like uh, a minor bugbear about the storyline. Um, Chris, are you worried about the health of the athletes? I know it's a novel idea, um, but oh, I think in an, in an ideal world, we wouldn't be uh, giving each other storyline concussions um, and then working matches with them. Um, but I mean, that has very little to do with the quality of this match, and uh, and. Uh, yeah, and this was a very high-quality match. So, a great start to the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. Backstage, we see Drew Carey arriving. He's got a comedy pay-per-view coming up, so he's here to promote it. Hunter's backstage talking to Stephanie. He wants to make sure that her and Trish don't become a distraction at ringside for his match against Angle later for the title. She assures him that she's only out there to stop Trish from doing anything like that. At this point, Drew Carey comes in and interrupts. He's surprised that Hunter's here with Steph, and he's he. this new information to him that Hunter is married to Stephanie. Hunter says, it's been about a year now, and Drew just flat out admits, well, he doesn't watch. Drew then asks where he can find Vince McMahon, because he wants to get advice from Vince about promoting a pay-per-view. Stephanie doesn't know where Vince is, but she says she'll take Drew to meet Trish instead. Yes, that was a segment. Next up, we have Chris Benoit defending the Intercontinental title against Chris Jericho in a ladder match. So we're underway and the match starts out as a brawl, an exchange of punches, and Benoit gets the upper hand, sends Jericho into the turnbuckle before hitting a shoulder breaker. Jericho fights back and sends Benoit to the apron, looks for a springboard, but Benoit moves and Jericho hits the floor. Benoit whips Jericho into the steps grabs a ladder and attempts the first climb of the match, but Jericho cuts him off with an electric chair drop. Jericho uses the ladder as a weapon and tries to whip Benoit into it, but is whipped over the top to the floor. At this point, Benoit tries a suicide dive to the outside. Jericho counters with an absolutely sickening chair shot to the head in quite a scary-looking spot. Benoit did get his, most of his hand up, but still, in real time, this looked brutal. Jericho... Um, Attempts to crash down on Benoit with the ladder and hits the guardrail before Benoit comes back and rams the ladder into Jericho's face. Back inside, 
Ben White's clothesline and sends Jericho into the ladder. He hits a drop kick into the ladder that Jericho's holding and sends him to the mat before hitting a belly to back suplex. Jericho comes back, places the ladder on the top rope, whips Benoit into it. Jericho then slingshots the ladder into the face of Benoit before hitting a missile drop kick. Jericho looks to climb the ladder for the first time in the match, but Benoit cuts him off with a forearm. Benoit hits another belly to back suplex, but this time it's over the top to the floor. Benoit is in the ring first and attempts to climb the ladder, but Jericho cuts him off with punches before applying the walls of Jericho on the top of the ladder to a huge pop from the crowd and an excellent visual. Um, Benoit kicks over the ladder and manages to keep the match going. Benoit gets the crossface locked on before sending Jericho into the ring post, but Jericho counters and launches Benoit into a ladder. Jericho sets up a ladder near the ropes, but Benoit punches him uh, punches him off, climbs up top, looks for a diving headbutt from the top of the ladder, but Jericho moves and Benoit crashes hard into the mat. Jericho traps Benoit under the ladder, climbs to the top, but Benoit is able to push the ladder off. Jericho takes a bump from the ladder into the ropes into the floor. Benoit goes up for another climb of the ladder, but Jericho hits him in the back with a steel chair. Jericho shoves the ladder so that Benoit bumps over the top to the floor. Jericho then climbs the ladder, grabs the title, and wins the match after the best part of 20 minutes to become the new Intercontinental Champion. Dan, what did you make of this? Uh, right, so three years ago, Chris Lacey and Eric Landstrom infamously voted The Rock versus Triple H at SummerSlam the best match of the year. If this match wins best match of 2001... I will have absolutely no complaints because this felt like five times better than that match. Fantastic. But I think the majority of that goes to Benoit's just insane levels of just willingness to do anything to, to get over a match. I mean, some of the stuff they were doing with the ladder was, was sickening. Um, it just felt much more crisper, much more, I don't know, organically authentic than the match like three years ago which i think is probably the best example i can think of to to compare it to benoit's torpedo chair shot that bump that he took is sickening but in the ecw way you can't take your eyes off it because it was just how on earth can this man still be walking after hit after getting hit with that bump and then 10 minutes later he's diving off a 10-foot ladder with the diving headbutt and misses and knowing Benoit, he probably didn't even put his hands up for it because this guy's just ridiculously insane for this business. Even the bump he takes outside the ring to set up the finish with Jericho climbing up the ladder is, is horrifically as well because he lands stern and first on the top rope and then bumps outside with Jericho slowly climbing up to, to, to get the win. I, I, I can't believe this match is, is this good. And I, I think it, if it is the final go with, go around between these two men, I think we've had a brilliant final chapter to this feud because they've been feuding on and off again since Backlash last year, or even even longer than that with, when they had WrestleMania Triple Threat with, with Angle. But for a final goodbye to this feud, they did an amazing job. The visual of Jericho locking in the the walls of Jericho with Benoit's spine wrapped around the ladder will be iconic. I can't, I can't not think that will not be iconic. It's just, it does all the right boxes with the selling and the, and how these two have been intertwined for the last 10 months. 
this match is absolutely incredible. Go like do not stop stop listening to the show. Go and find this match, watch it, then come back and start listening to the show. It's incredible. Lacey, over to you. This is two in-ring generals working with a ladder, not around a ladder. Um, yeah, it's the one thing they say about the, as we said about Hunter and uh, Rock a few years back at SummerSlam. You can say the same about Sean and Razor. You know, they used the ladder properly as as a tool. You know, and do things with it where it's not just big big drop spot for the sake of big drop spot and you know yes you look at the TLC matches and the triple threat uh, match from last year with the tags they were using ladders to make big big spots these two were wrestling with the ladder it is fucking beautiful that image of Jericho with the balls of Jericho on top of a ladder is going to be one of those iconic wrestling images you know, the same with, you know, Savage holding Elizabeth up at WrestleMania 7 and, you know, Flair and Dusty bleeding in the steel cage at Starcade 2. Those those images that are, you go, this is beautiful moments of wrestling. And, yeah, you know, that chair shot. You, you said about concussions, obviously, in the first match of, you know, why make a storyline with it? And then you get this moment, you're like, no, that's a proper concussion on the way. Um, but fuck me. Yeah. Early contender for match of the year. You, We've got a high bar to start. Yeah, not many pay-per-views are going to have a second match on the card as good as this one. Um, definitely going on the short list for match of the year already. Um, and as you say, Lacey, high bar for anything else to come closer to beating it. Um, because, yeah, it's just perfect psychology, uh, like ring psychology, psychology with the ladder. Um, and just Benoit is so good working over the left shoulder of Jericho throughout the match. Um, and Jericho just being able to overcome it as the baby face. Um, just so many, as you both said, the word iconic moments and the the Benoit diving into the chair shop from Jericho and the walls of Jericho on the ladder and even the diving headbutt from the top of the ladder just down to the map after Jericho moved like those moments are going to be visuals that live long in the memory of any WWF or any wrestling fan really who's lucky enough to see this match and a match as good as this um, because I think it's probably the best match both guys have had in the WWF. And I mean, they've both had some really good matches um, at different points. Um, But I think both of them just had everything click. Um, And obviously they're two exceptional workers, but they were two exceptional workers at the top of their game at the same time in one match. They had time like typically they might have had some really good outings before, but they might be given sort of like eight to 10 minutes occasionally lower on the card here. They had the best part of 20 plus entrances and all that. Like they had time and they maximized every second of it. Um, 
yeah, just brilliant. And as we've all said, definitely on the short list already for match of 2001. So backstage, Drew Carey's trying to flirt with Trish. She doesn't seem too receptive to this and tells him that she's involved with someone. At this point, Vince walks in. He doesn't seem too pleased with Drew hitting on Trish. And by way of getting some revenge, he manages to convince Drew Carey that he should enter the Royal Rumble match later tonight. Up, we have China, who is returning against Doctor's orders to take on Ivory for the WWF Women's title. So just a quick recap of the story here. Last month, um, China took a spike pile driver, which was supposed to have broken her neck. Um, we get a video package. China talks about her road to recovery. She's been told that she will never wrestle again. But Ivory issued a challenge to China and claimed that she was just scared to face her. And this prompted China to return against Doctor's orders. So here we are. We're underway and China quickly beats on beats up on Ivory, knocks her to the outside and beats her up among the fans before Gorilla Press slamming her over the barricade. She puts her back in the ring. At which point, Richards jumps on the apron. China pulls him into the ring, throws him back out. China goes for a handspring back elbow on Ivory, but in doing so, apparently re-injures her neck. She collapses and just lays completely still on the mat. Ivory crawls over, drapes an arm for the cover, and wins the match. One, two, three. Lawler, at this point, leaves the announce table to run and check on her. And I think at this point, I mean, I didn't know this at the time, but since since the show I've I've read... The last time Lawler left the announce table in this manner during a pay-per-view uh, was the pay-per-view where Owen Hart passed away. So that just makes me hate this angle so much more. Um, China's stretched out and they're playing that, yeah, her, her, she's re-injured her neck. She's, for all intents and purposes, laying there paralyzed with a broken neck in the storyline. And that's the end of the match, if you can call it that, Dan. More of an angle. Yes, yeah, the only black spot on the cards um i feel just icky now we've talked about having head injuries play a part in in, in angles and how that makes you a little bit squeamish using the neck is just a big no just don't do this especially when we've had two people now in, in owen and and definitely austin and let's not forget draws have almost career-ending legitimate neck injuries and have to be out for 10 months of, of the year to get this rehabilitated. And Draza's case is may never walk again. So to kind of just, yeah, play this in as an angle just does not feel right. And I'm, I'm really hoping that they can come up with some kind of solution to, to how they can get off this because, yeah, this is just not good. It does not feel right to be watching this as a as sports entertainment and it doesn't feel right to the talents to just say oh she's broken her neck last month and now she's back a month later and now she's hurt herself again in kayfabe it doesn't play right on any scenario for an audience and for the talent and the fact that again it's not even realistic how that you can we can do a handspring elbow perfectly and then just back into ivory just very gingerly and then go down like that it, yeah, just awful all around, really, um, which is a shame because I feel like this is probably Ivory's biggest profile angle that she could ever possibly have in the company. And yet it's being 
involved with this, which is a shame for her because I just loved every single second that she's been involved with the ITC. Um, so everybody could be doing better things. Lacey, what do you think of it all? Uh, yeah, pretty much can't say more than what Dan said, really. You know, it's a horrible use of an injury angle. It's I can already tell what this is going to be. Yes, she'll be off for a month or so. She'll come back, murder Ivory in two minutes, like complete superstars, 80-style squash, and it will mean fuck all. Yeah, it, it, the thing is, you know Fed booking, and you know exactly what this is going to be. And I'll, I'll call it now. That will be what we'll get. Probably, you know, either at the next pay-per-view or Mania, it will literally be, she turns up, she fucks her up, walks out as a champion, and it's like, oh, yeah, she got over this injury that she's never had. Do, do we think that they're doing a neck injury angle because they don't trust her being able to sell convincingly anything else? Throwing mean, is, that, is that saying that this was a convincing sell job? Because I think that would be a stretch. <laughs> I mean, it is a stretch, but I, I, China, for all her strengths as a performer, has never been a good seller in the ring she's very stiff no pun intended I would, uh, yeah i mean uh, the, uh, my solution to that would be don't not not to book a like a neck injury angle but to maybe not book any injury angle like <laughs> if you've got someone who's not very good at selling um i i don't know it, it, yeah i i think lacy's right in that they they probably want to stretch this out to mania like china probably leaves wrestlemania with the women's title and they don't know how to avoid sort of Ivory losing to her in December, January, February to get there, I guess, um, without doing something like this. Like, is is that really, like, is that kind of it, really? Um, so the thing you got to think about is, right, does China need the women's belt or even does the women's division need China? Or have they literally gone, she isn't any good or isn't good enough to be in there with the men like like we were hoping. Oh shit, this is just like battle stations because we're paying our loads of money. We need to do something with her. Uh, I don't want to write China off as someone within the men's division, but we're certainly... I mean, we spoke about it a lot last month on the show, and it certainly feels like we're at an end of a cycle with with that. And they kind of need to make a call. And and I, I mean, my opinion was that if anything, it feels like she's regressed as an in ring performer rather than kicked on and developed. And she's been in there with some really good workers. So this, this is the thing: if you look at her. Two years ago, in '99, when she was winning that battle royal to get the last place in the Rumble, she was beating top-tier guys. She's now struggling to beat Ivory. Um, the way they've positioned her as a character and an entity, she should demolish everyone in that women's division in one match. You put them all against her, because that's how they've they've portrayed her so you know 
I, I don't see with what they've done with China in the past to have her where she is now, how that works for anyone or helps anyone. Yeah, I, I mean, it feels like longer ago, but Rory reminded me last month of SummerSlam 99 and like how close we were to her being in the main event of that pay-per-view, like in the WWF title picture. And I mean, she's felt a long way from that for a while now. And I mean, I, I've uh, the, the women's division is definitely in a healthier place than it's been in in a long time. And like any other performer and you'd say well yeah she's like throw her in there but the, the problem with having China having been wrestling the men for the last couple of years and and having the physique that she does is that when you do throw her in there with the women it's hard to really book around that like and not just have her run through everyone um, I, I don't know it is difficult to know sort of what would be best to do with her but I definitely for my money think neck injury angle where you're selling that you're paralyzed um a few times is probably not the way to go next up we get a video package uh, which ed set up kurt angle defending his wwf title against triple h Angle said since he can't have Stephanie in his corner, he'll have somebody else. And he chose Trish to manage him because of the hints towards uh, Trish's affair with Vince. This obviously pissed off Stephanie. So Angle's out. And uh, yeah, so we got Kurt Angle versus Triple H. And Angle comes out strong in the early going, using superior mat skills to, uh, to give Triple H a tough time. Hits a few suplexes until Hunter manages to lure Angle outside, where he begins to gain the upper hand and whips Kurt into the barricade. Triple H works over the knees of Kurt, and thanks to the distraction by Stephanie, um, uses a steel chair to hit Angle's knee against the ring post. Hedner turns around and sees the chair lying on the floor, asks Hunter if he uses it, but Triple H denies it. Triple H continues to work over the knee, uses an Indian death lock, followed by a figure four leg lock. He uses the ropes, which prompts Trish to try and slide into the ring and get the referee's attention, which causes Stephanie to drag her out of the ring. Trish slaps Stephanie, who slaps her back, and a cat fight ensues. Vince comes down to break it up. He lifts Trish, to, Trish away, but Stephanie continues to attack her, and the three of them kind of like semi-brawl their way to the back, being dragged by Vince. Kurt takes advantage of this distraction to kick Triple H into the ring post and hits the DDT. He goes up top for a moonsault, but slowed down by his injured leg. Injured, uh, yeah, slowed down by his injured leg. Triple H then hits a low blow on Kurt, which Hebner has to quickly turn his head from as it was just completely blatant. Then Hunter follows with a crucifix powerbomb out of the corner for a two count. Hunter wanted a pedigree, uh, but Angle countered before Hunter kicked him into the turnbuckle. And uh, Angle bounced off the turnbuckle with a headbutt to Hunter's groin by accident. Angle goes up top and this time hits a picture-perfect looking moonsault and grabs his knee after he hits it. Angle goes to the floor. Hunter goes out for an attack there, but Angle moves and Hunter jumps straight into Earl Hebner and lays him out by accident. Hunter whips Angle into the ring post before going up top, but Kurt hits him with an arm drag off the top. Angle tries a cover, but there's no ref. Angle checks on Hebner on the floor. 
Hunter leaves the ring, whips Angle into Hebner against the ring post and knocks the ref out even more. At this point, Hunter grabs the WWF title and tries to attack with it, but Angle counters and hits a belly-to-belly suplex. Angle tries to attack with the title this time, but Hunter kicks him low and hits a pedigree. Hunter covers and would have got the free here, but there's no ref to count. At this point, Stone Cold Steve Austin runs out to a huge pop, lays into Hunter with punches. Austin sends Hunter into the ring. Austin hits um, hits him with the WWF title in the face, busts Hunter open. At this point, Austin drags El Hebner into the ring before hitting the stunner on Hunter and leaving. Angle crews over to Triple H, left arm over the stomach as the pin, and Hebner does the solo count. One, two, three. Kurt Angle retains the WWF title after the best part of 25 minutes. Lacey, what do you make of the WWF Championship match? I really enjoyed this. Um, some good ring work, you know, Hunter bringing out the Indian Deathlock. That's something I haven't seen since, you know, NWA days. Um, you know, it, it flowed really well as a match. Yeah, that low blow spot that was so blatant that I don't know how anyone, even Stevie Wonder, would have seen it. Um, the Steph Vince Trish thing didn't really take away from the match. You know, it added a bit of, of drama there that you know just sort of carries on with the storyline. Because um, obviously, there's they're going to continue. There's going to be something between them two. Probably something at Mania, I'd imagine. You know, that's where they're where we're sort of leading towards now. So, Steph and Steph and Trish will probably have a match at Mania. Um, Angle still, it still every time I see him, it said like when the match with Austin um, and with this, just how good he is for what just over a year and a bit in. in it's it was awesome. Um, Though, with obviously what happens later on, and obviously with Austin coming in, obviously I would have thought at this point they'd be looking at getting the title on Hunter, maybe for Mania, and then sort of going for Mania Austin Hunter. But by the looks of it, from obviously what we get later in a month, they're jumping that early and doing that for whatever they're calling the pay-per-view in February. So yeah, it, it's one of those of I'm I'm in. I'm, I want to see more of this. And I want to see where they're going with with Austin Hunter as well as what they're going to do with Angle going forward as well because pretty much every Angle match is decent. Dan, what did you make of the match? I thought the match was really good, um, which is uh, I thought this was going to be um, not necessarily badly worked but very difficult to get interested in because of how much of a heel both these guys are like there's no shades of gray involved with these two guys are very much meant to be people that you're meant to despise so to see and Kurt Angle get worked over is, is a little bit of a culture shock but um yeah as I said the the references to the moonsault that Angle does is it, it's a, such a joy whenever he hits it for one thing um the top rope sprinting arm drag the the selling that he does his selling of his knee, just just more evidence to know that Angle is just going to be the the best worker WWF have probably for the next 
three to five years along with Benoit, just be stupendously good, but stupendously good work. And Triple H again is just such a good ring general. He 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 again like um, we talked about last month, where he not necessarily doesn't have much more strings to his bow, but he knows exactly when to to bring out certain moves and exactly when to bring out some interesting aspects of of the matches. So like like Lacey's mentioned, the Indian Deathlock again. Always interesting when that break comes, that comes out, and then he follows up with a chair to Angle's knee. So, I think in hindsight, him being winning the Work of the Year award last year, uh, last month was was the right decision. Um, Color me a bit of a spoil sport, but I'm not a fan of this Trish Stephanie thing. It's it did feel like something that is very 1998 in how we've. We were just seeing, you know, two two women just having cat fights for the sake of men's entertainment, and yeah, it was again leaves me a little bit with a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. But with, with and the whole Vince McMahon with her as a with as of a mistress is again a bit kind of um, weird. But I'm willing to see how this plays out a bit more further before I pass hard judgment on it. Because as, as Lacey says, I think this is going to head into some sort of mania program involving Trish uh, and Stephanie somehow. But yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it, but that's just me. And again, as, as Lacey, I'll, I'll echo him. Triple H versus Austin. Eve, like, I, I think it was interesting how Triple H was clearly meant to be the lead heel in this in this match. And the fact that he's now the ultra bad versus Austin as the ultra baby face coming into February make makes sense as an extra drawing power. And I imagine we'll, we'll talk about this probably when it's confirmed, but the mania match I think is going to will be is even bigger than that, but we'll get to that when we get there. I judging by how the, the jigsaw pieces are aligning um, come the end of January. Yeah, I, I think I could abide the Stephanie and Trish stuff if it wasn't so intrinsically wrapped up in the WWF title picture, which to me, like, like I, I, I love Kurt Angle. I think he's he's had an incredible, like, first year in the company, which is crazy to stay still, say still. Um, but when kind of like... For me, this match got going as soon as Vince took them away. Do you know what I mean? Like, I want Kurt and Hunter to be able to have a 20-minute pay-per-view match without Trish and Steph there and the cheap distractions and the McMahon family drama and all that. Like, that's when the match began in earnest. Um, And it was an excellent match. Um, I mean, it was fine with them there, but to me... That doesn't scream like heated WWF title picture. That screams kind of like almost comedy mid card in a way. And I think when that story develops and pivots away from the title picture, it will probably grate on me less. Um, which like I have no problem with like Steph and Trish having a match at Mania because we know like Hunter's not going to be in that match, like Kurt's not going to be in that match, Austin's not going to be in that match, um, and they'll probably make it work, like um, and it will be fine, and then we'll be left with the 
main event level guys to <laughs> to do what they do best, and they this this match is another demonstration of that. Um, I thought it was was uh, really good. Um, I, I, a little overbooked in spots for my liking with the sort of the cat fight, multiple ref, ref bumps, and then the Austin's interference. Um, and for me, I I know he's the like a he's the heel. It, like it's kind of he's a heel champion, and not necessarily a strong heel champion. But for me, I would like Angle to just get one sort of legitimate main event pay-per-view title defense <laughs> on the books before he loses the belt. And now we've got one pay-per-view between now and WrestleMania. I fear that might not happen. He'll probably drop it next month. Um, but I would just like one sort of main event strong win on pay-per-view for Kurt with that belt, um, ideally. Uh, but then again... Having Austin come out and cost Triple H the match here, I mean, works perfectly with the storyline. So, although it may have damaged Kurt's like strength as a champion, I don't think that's the priority here. And the priority is elevating the feud between Babyface number one and Heel number one on the, on the book. So, that achieved that. I thought this was an excellent match overall, um, despite having a few sort of nitpicks here or there, um, and. He, it just sort of continued aside from the, the women's title angle, uh, an excellent show. Rock, we are now just moments away from the Royal Rumble match. 30 superstars, an opportunity to face the World Wrestling Federation champion at... Finally, The Rock has come back to New Orleans! The Royal Rumble 2001, the biggest Royal Rumble in history. All shapes, all sizes, all colors. It's so fitting that we're right here in New Orleans because the Royal Rumble 2001 is like one big pot of jambalaya. All shapes, all sizes, from Crash to Rikishi, Kane to The Undertaker. And speaking of Kane and The Undertaker, everybody wants to ask the question, are Kane and The Undertaker together? Are Kane and The Undertaker together? Well, quite frankly speaking, if Kane and The Undertaker are together, then every man is going to be in trouble. But The Rock is sick and tired of asking that question, answering that question. Is Kane together with The Undertaker? Is The Undertaker together with Kane? Kane wants to buy The Undertaker a box of chocolates. The Undertaker wants to tickle Kane's big red nipple. Who cares what they want to do? Because the fact of the matter is this, The Undertaker and Kane, they're going to be together tonight, all right. Together, getting both their monkey asses kicked right over the top rope. Royal Rumble 2001. Every man for himself. It could come down to anybody. The Rock and Bull Buchanan. The Rock and Perry Saturn. It could even come down to The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. All the possibilities, they're endless. The results will still be the same. Is that The Rock walking down the people's aisle, getting in the ring and body after body after body over the top rope, whipping ass all over the Big Easy on to WrestleMania. If you smell what The Rock is cooking. 
to the main event, which is the Royal Rumble match. We had an excellent promo with The Rock being interviewed by Kevin Kelly backstage. Uh, he was very fired up. He asked, he said the people wanted to ask if Kane and Undertaker would be working together, but because if they are, then every man would be in trouble. But he's sick and tired of hearing about that. He threw in some classic rock comedy that I am not going to attempt to pull off. Um, and says that if they do try and work together, they'll get their monkey asses kicked over the top rope. Rock says it comes down; it can come down to anyone like The Rock and Steve Austin and uh, sort of hypes those two as potentially the last two men in the Rumble. So it's time for the Royal Rumble match itself. The only thing we know entrance-wise going in is that Rikishi will be number 30. Um, I'm going to pause my recap at a couple of points during the review so you guys can jump in and sort of break down bits of the match um, as we go rather than trying to do the whole hour in one review at the end. So we're underway and we have Jeff Hardy as number one. In number two, we've got Ball Buchanan of RTC. Not too much going on in the first two-minute interval until Matt Hardy comes in as number three. Matt goes right after Buchanan and the Hardys double-team him and clothesline him out of the ring. Instead of playing it smart and working together, the Hardys begin wrestling each other after eliminating Ball. Farouk enters at four. The Hardys hit poetry in motion and Jeff hits... Jeff helps Matt avoid the Dominator. They do a twist of fate, Swanton combo, and out goes Farouk. The Hardys are back to wrestling each other as we wait for our next entrant, with Jeff hitting Matt with a twist of fate just before number five, and we have Drew Carey. Drew Carey gets a Drew chant from the crowd as the Hardys keep fighting, while he slowly gets into the ring. Matt and Jeff begin fighting on the top turnbuckle and they really clumsily and awkwardly eliminate each other at the same time via some sort of weird suplex fall and it leaves Drew all alone in the ring celebrating. This made the Hardys look like complete idiots for what it's worth. Uh, All the fun quickly stops with Drew Carey when we get our number six and it's Kane. Kane slowly makes his way down to the ring, stares down Drew, who tries to buy Kane off by offering loads of money. Kane doesn't go for it, tries a choke slam, but Raven's in at number seven, just in time to break it up, hitting Kane with a kendo stick. While this is happening, Drew quickly climbs over the top rope to eliminate himself and remove himself from the match without taking a bump. Raven goes under the ring, brings in a trash can and some other weapons and plunder, but gets attacked by Al Snow, who runs in early before we get the buzzer for the eighth entrant, which turns out is Al Snow after all. Snow brings more weapons into the ring, including a bowling ball that's in a bag, which he eventually rolls into Raven's crotch. Snow and Raven take turns in attacking Kane with trash can legs, but he doesn't go down. They do a double drop toe hold onto a trash can, but Kane sits up. At number nine, Perry Saturn enters, who Kane press slams. Steve Blackman is 10. He brings in his sticks, and we have a bit of a hardcore scramble on our hands. Number 11 is Grandmaster Sexy of Too Cool. He uses the trash can lid to beat on everyone. Raven then uses the lid to hit some people, but Kane gets a hold of the trash can lid, and he eliminates Grandmaster Sexy before eliminating Blackman with the same weapon. Kane then goes on a bit of a run hitting everyone with choke slams and picking up three more eliminations in Snow, Raven and Saturn, meaning he's all alone in the ring. And number 12, we have a surprise because it's the Honky Tonk Man. Honky grabs the microphone and he gets into the ring, calls himself the best intercontinental champion of all time, but adding that he knows we want he, he knows we want to hear him sing his song. Kane's just standing there as Honky Tonk Man starts, but Kane grabs the guitar and smashes it over Honky's head to a huge pop before Kane eliminates him. 
I will pause here. We're 12 entrants in. Kane's alone in the ring. Dan, what are we making of the Rumble match so far? Pretty, pretty excellent so far. I mean, we have, there's no star power apart from Kane, but let's just showcase some of the great things that they would have done this year that, to get the, a lot of the mid card and lower card, which is hardcore title stuff. So let's bring out the hardcore division to beat down Kane. And that show Blackman, that show Snow, that show off Raven, and oh shit, Kane just gets real and just throws them all away. Excellent stuff. Honky Tonk Man as a surprise entrant. Didn't he come out? He was a surprise entrant last in three years ago in 1998, and he did fuck all. But shows you how far the booking team have come on this year, where they actually have him give him his own spot, do a bit of a comedy stick, and then gets hit in the head with a guitar. Just shows you just how much of a little bit of a booking changing philosophy can make a part-time guest appearance so much more um entertaining and so much more memorable than what he got three years ago uh and let's talk about the the big surprise shall we say of drew carey i i thought that overall on the show drew carey has been showed off as one of the worst kind of special guests they've had i remember when arnie schwarzenegger came in for a guest appearance on SmackDown. He was like giving it all to try and be enthusiastic and be a part of the show. And who cares? Just like, yeah, I haven't watched it in a year. I don't even know why I'm here. And yet the commentary when Kane's pyro goes off by JR and King will probably make this one of the most iconic moments we've had in the last 10 years. It's just brilliant. Whoever came up with that, that entrance and that, that string of re- of um of entrance is just brilliant I-, I thought it was so funny and yeah i i can't fault this rumble start for the for the for the first 12 entrants i thought we've made a monster of kane we've shown off the lower card we've got two great guest spots so far it's going brilliantly yeah, Lacey, a, a bit of a showcase for the hardcore division and a few ECW, ECW alumni, but not necessarily panning out for them in the way you might have hoped. Well, you know, we, we all know that, you know, Raven ain't going to be world champion anytime soon. So, you know, <laughs> it, it's one of those if it gives Snow, it gives Raven, Saturn, you know, all ECW alum a shot a spot to shine you know it shows as as dan said it shows them in their light in their element with the weapons and the the hard breaking into a hardcore rumble you know it is a match that has no rules as such then yeah it makes perfect sense um i will just mention that the hardy's double elimination was just shocking you know, that I don't know what they were attempting for that to look like or what, but yeah, that was that was fucking awful. Um, Drew Carey, get the fuck off my TV, you useless twat. Um, I have no time for him. You're not funny in whose line is it anyway. Fuck off. Um, Kane looks an absolute monster. You know, you should always have someone in a rumble that does look like an absolute beast and Kane has done it perfectly so far by this point in the Rumble and you know am I the only one that was really upset that we didn't get to hear 
I got my long side burns in my air shirt back. I want to do your town in my pink Cadillac. Just a honky tonk man. It's a honky tonk man. I'm just a honky tonk man. It's a honky tonk man. I'm cool. I'm cocky. I'm bad. There you are. There you go. <laughs> we, we needed more of that. You know, give, give me, you know, King's cousin and just have him turn up every every few weeks, you know, just come in, start trying to sing and get, you know, taken out by someone. I've booked an angle for years. As long as he doesn't make Billy Gunn his apprentice again, that'd be great. Yeah, you know, perfect. <laughs> you, know, I, you, you know, I am of that age that I, I, you know, started watching wrestling sort of 1990. So Honky being was a big part of that back then. So, you know, it gets me in the in my child fields because I'm like, oh, it reminds me of being six and seeing Honky Tonk Man. So, yeah, it, it was always going to be a win with me. Yeah, I, I think it's been a really, really fun start to the Rumble. And I think there's loads of years where you can't say that. Like, um, low on star power, but high on, like, really nailing the booking and, like, the little intricacies of the match and weaving a narrative for it in in, in an excellent way. Um, for me, I'd have loved to have seen Drew Carey get chokeslammed, but also him, like, weaseling away and eliminate himself is not, like I, yeah whatever the hardy spot was really clumsy and clunky but like there was a part of me that when they were sort of like teetering on the top and drew's in the corner i was like he's gonna fucking run over and eliminate them both isn't he and i was really hoping that it wouldn't happen i didn't want drew carey to eliminate the hardys which would have just been yeah a bit of a nightmare so the fact that they just kind of like fell off of their own accord um like it was necessary. It was a necessary evil, I suppose, in that they wanted Drew to be alone in the ring when Kane's music hit, so they had to get them out of there somehow. Um, and I think the lesser of two evils is them having to do a clumsy suplex double down spot off the top, rather than um, Drew Carey picking up the elimination on both Hardy Boys. Um, yeah, the loads of credit to whoever put that little run of guys together with Kane coming out um I think I forgot to cover it in my notes but we had a little backstage segment with Drew Carey after he found out he was in the match um where someone delivered him his gear um and uh he was in the locker room and Kane walked past and he tried to introduce himself and Kane um ignored him entirely and just sort of stared him out as you'd expect from Kane kind of built to the spot and I think they delivered on that <laughs> in the match. And uh, I, I, having Honky as well, like that's a perfect little cameo. Um, exactly the kind of way you should use like a a surprise veteran who's in there just to pop the crowd. And Kane, Kane making himself in a monster with 12 men in. And uh, Kane's alone in the ring. And I think it's been a really fun and entertaining first sort of, 40% or so of the match so back to the rumble and at number 13 we do have some star power and it's The Rock who the crowd go absolutely crazy for as you'd expect it's a big clothesline on Kane as they go back and forth at number 14 it's The Good Father who The Rock eliminates after just 14 seconds Taz at number 15 does even worse he only lasts 10 seconds before a throat thrust from Kane eliminates him 
Rock nearly eliminates Kane, but he manages to escape. And we have a double down following a Samoan drop. At 16, we have Bradshaw, who lays out Rocky with a clothesline. Albert's in at 17, but he too gets a clothesline from Bradshaw. Hardcore Holly's in at 18. He works with Bradshaw to try and eliminate The Rock, but he manages to hang on. Kay Quick is number 19. Kane hits a huge power slam on Holly while Bradshaw destroys, destroys Quick at the same time. At 20, another RTC member, Val. 21, we get European champion William Regal, and rings filling up pretty quickly here, which means another big-name guy is probably coming soon. Test is not that guy, uh, as he's in at 22, but does it quickly eliminate Regal. At 23, and I am absolutely elated to report that we have the return <laughs> of the big show. He quickly eliminates Test and K-Quick before chokeslamming everyone in sight. He goes to chokeslam Rocky, but Rock hits a kick before clotheslining show over the top and eliminates him in less than 90 seconds on his big return. <laughs> Chris White's pop of the night. Honestly, it was. I was so, so happy. Crash Holly's in at number 24. It was like, yep, I can imagine. I know someone right now who is breaking out the beers. I was on my feet. I was so happy. Crash Holly's in at number 24. I don't want to be a dick uh, (laughs) before we carry on. But, like, he went away show, obviously. Was it around about August last year? um, He went to OVW, said to lose a bit of weight and improve his improve his in-ring work and whatnot and uh i mean small cameo here to me i don't think he's really lost too much weight i don't want to be that guy but he kind of looked like the same show that left um obviously didn't see enough of him in the ring to to make a judgment on that side of things but physically at least i I thought it was pretty much the same guy but there we go it Uh, was unfortunate that when he came out and and lifted his arms to, to you know, celebrate him being back. The, the the t-shirt he wore was a little bit too small. Yes. Yeah, did him no favours. Um, Crash Holly's in at number 24, but while that's happening, it's overshadowed. Because Show responds to his elimination by pulling the rock out of the ring under the bottom rope, it should be noted, and chokeslamming him through the announce table. Um, while we're while we're here, kind of like, we, all the excitement of the big show's return and, and swift elimination. Uh, our pulls again. We're we're uh, twenty four men down, only six to go. Um, what do we make of the rumble at this point? Kind of the second chunk of it from from the rocks entrance to, to big show being eliminated. Uh, Lacey, I'll come to you first this time. So, as I said earlier, it was when we talked about ECW guys um, coming over to the Fed. Fuck me, Taz is such a job now, isn't he? <laughs> it doesn't even last the full two minutes. Gets just binned out, and I am so, so disappointed that that is where where Taz is now. Um, I think, obviously, it was obvious there was going to be another big sort of someone coming in. Obviously, I, I thought it was going to be Taker. I didn't think it was going to be Show. Um, coming in, but to, to sort of do that sort of clear house, drop a couple of the of the lesser like oiks out, you know, the likes of K Quick and Test and stuff, sort of get rid of them, sort of fairly fairly easy with someone new coming in. Um, obviously, I don't know what what they're planning with Rock and Show, but clearly there's something there because you know that's 
they've got to have a reason for show to put him through the table. Obviously, I know last year there was that they both went out and both feet touched shit. Um, but yeah, is is this what shows big returns going to be? Is going to be you know he's going with against the Rock at the next pay per view. I'd, I'd really hope not for your sake more than anyone else's sanity. Um, but I will say at this point is when I really got to me of the twat in the second row who seems to have a fucking sign for everyone and is just standing up and gyrating and shit was really starting to fuck me off by this point. Dan, uh, over to you. Your, your thoughts on the match and also the twat in the second row. Uh, some people can tune out the commentary. I can normally tune out the fans. So I, I must admit, I didn't even notice him until you just mentioned him there. And it's now starting to have like recall. Therapy he was, I'm just like, he oh, was yeah. dressed as fucking Stevie Richards. Just... And had a, had literally seemed to have a sign for fucking everyone. And was doing some weird fucking arm flailing shit. I was just like, sit the fuck down, you twat. I was going to say, Rory's going to have to pass the words because he's now no longer the wrestling's biggest Stevie Wretches fan. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, I, I thought, again, this was kind of the more traditional part of the Rumble um, before the big the big boys entered completely. But having The Rock come out and having him having a showdown with Kane was, again, perfectly timed just after the Honky Tonk Man cameo and then we just have you know the mid card come out and do their normal rumble stuff but there was nothing in here that was like you know terribly off-putting and and the big show coming back was a, is a surprise he certainly had the impact of it and the crowd popped for it and and i'm sure he had something planned for it i, I can't imagine this with the rock again given that we did this exact same thing last year and it was not exactly setting the world on fire and i think Everyone can attest that the Big Show at that point was much more over than he is now. Um, so, uh, yeah, if it is something to do with The Rock, I really hope it's not going to last long. Um, because, again, I've, I've touched on it when the, the match is over, but I'm hoping The Rock's got bigger fish to fry than The Big Show. Um, but, yeah, I I've, again, I don't, don't have any problem with it. It's that this is like the traditional Royal Rumble kind of filling up the ring and... and um, Let's get some mid-card action going on, uh, with, but with a nice surprise of the big show returning. Or I shouldn't say nice, a, 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 an effective surprise. Yeah, I, I mean, I like what they did with him <laughs> in, in the sense that I think he, we didn't need another, like, he didn't need to come in and, and, and take over the cane role, did he? Like, it was like he came in, hit a few big moves, a couple of quick eliminations, and, and then he was out of there. And because Kane is very much the sort of the anchor of the match in that monster role. Um, and regardless of my previous opinions on the big show's work, um, like, he, he was fine here. Um, and I, like, he was a massive plus. Obviously, pop for his return, but an even bigger pop when the rock got that quick elimination, which I don't think a lot of people would have been expecting, myself included. And, uh, yeah, hopefully the um, table spot with The Rock afterwards, as you both say, isn't isn't leading to Rock v Big Show uh, in the next couple of months as we head towards WrestleMania. So what you're saying, Chris, is Big Show is fine, 
as long as it's all done within 90 seconds. Uh, I think that would also be a stretch. I feel like he could piss me off in 90 seconds pretty easily. Um, but he was fine here. Like, I'll, uh, like uh, I, I don't know. I just don't need him in the main event scene. Like, like he was occasionally entertaining last year, but it was often when he was doing stupid comedy stuff like the showster or whatever like he had some entertainment value but then when he reverted to just being the big show in the main event he would often bring the level of work down a few notches so uh, yeah he's not like a lost cause of me but he's definitely in my bad books and has to do a lot of making up so there we go we rejoin the match and we have number 25 which is the undertaker Kane's on the verge of being eliminated by everyone in the ring who are ganging up on him, but The Undertaker makes the save. Together, him and Kane clean house, and they combine to eliminate everyone else in the match, apart from The Rock, who's still on the outside. Alone, Kane and The Undertaker show the Hardys how it's done, and they do not fight each other, and they wait for the 26th entrant. That man happens to be Scotty Too Hotty. The scared look as he makes his way to the ring is absolutely perfect. Um, he gets in the ring, it get, takes a double choke slam from Taker and Kane, and they quickly eliminate him. Next up is for 27, Stone Cold Steve Austin. He walks out and he's ready, talking trash like he's about to go in there, tear it up and destroy Taker and Kane. Bef- but before he can, Triple H attacks from behind, takes Austin out, beats him up, and ends up busting him open, leaving him a bloody mess. The Rock gets back in and... Uh, begins taking a beat down from Kane and the Undertaker and at 28 we get Billy Gunn. Finally the referees pull Hunter off Austin in the aisle but Austin at this point is bleeding all over the place as the Undertaker hits a DDT on the rock in the ring. At 29 we have a surprise and it's Haku who's back. Number 30 we have Rikishi. Austin's at this point dragging himself towards the ring and Rikishi tries to attack him but Austin begins trading punches with him as the two brawl towards the ring. Inside, Austin eliminates Haku with a clothesline over the top. Taker hits a chokeslam on Rikishi. Taker goes to throw Rock out, but Rock holds on. Kane manages to get a big boot on Austin while Rikishi super kicks The Undertaker, and The Undertaker is eliminated by Rikishi. At this point, Lawler picks Rikishi to win as he sets up The Rock for a bonsai drop, but The Rock gets up, low blows Rikishi, and punches him to eliminate him from the match. So we're down to four. Those four are The Rock, Kane, Billy Gunn, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. One of these four does not belong. I'll leave it up to you to decide who. Billy Gunn actually does hit the Feymaster on Austin at this point, but Austin quickly throws him out and we're down to three. The crowd freaks out as Austin and Rock square up to each other. Uh, Austin's a bloody mess at this point, and here, to me, should be sort of your WrestleMania tease. Rock and Austin staring each other down in the middle of the ring. Austin takes a punch from Rock, elbows, elbows his way out of the rock bottom and hits a stunner that the Rock sells in his overselling way like he always does Austin hits a fez press on Kane to a huge pop, he goes for a clothesline on Rock but Rock comes back, hits a rock bottom he throws Kane out through the uh, Rock throws Kane out through the middle ropes but so he's still in the match it leaves us with just Rock and Austin Austin is close to the elimination but Rock goes to an eye rake JR at this point is just like he's almost losing his voice with excitement Rock holds up Austin 
in a body slam position, but Kane sneaks in and dumps the wrong out of dumps the rock out of the ring to eliminate him, taking Kane to eleven eliminations for this Rumble match alone. Austin charges in, Kane catches him and hits a choke slam. Austin's bleeding all over the place, and Kane's been in the match for the over fifty minutes at this stage. Austin hits a low blow, and Kane rolls out to the floor and grabs a steel chair. Austin kicks it out of his hands, and after a struggle, Austin avoids a tombstone. He hits a Stone Cold Stunner. He hits Kane with three consecutive chair shots to the head, and Kane stumbles back to the ropes. Austin clotheslines him out of the ring to win the match, and Stone Cold Steve Austin is going to WrestleMania. JR has an all-time legendary call at the end of the match. Um, I'm not going to try and replicate it. I'll play it in for you here, though. And... um, it's just an example of why JR is so good. So after 62 minutes, we come to the end of the Royal Rumble match and Stone Cold Steve Austin has won it for the third time. Dan, what did you make of that? Perfect. I can't fault it. <laughs> like, you bring out Undertaker and Kane as the unbeatable threat. And yet, who you know, you pulverize the little pipstreak and Scotty Too Hotty. Who would you bring out next? The biggest fucking star in wrestling. Like, can't beat that that image of Austin walking down the ramp, talking trash, and Undertaker and King with their hands on their hips. Just, just it's just why we love wrestling. And then managing to have Triple H come out, be living piss out of Austin, continuing the feud for next month. Um, makes Austin's you know journey just a little bit more satisfying when he actually wins it. We now have Undertaker and Kane as a faction again and say what he wants about Undertaker, but what they've done with Kane in the last three months to build him back up to be main event level and the monster of the company is absolutely incredible. I mean he he looked gigantic in this match. Eleven eliminations the record he has pushed the diesel push to be even more of that, where he's just continuing to be this dominant force of nature. And him being the final person that Austin eliminates from the match is perfect because, yes, he's overcome the monster, but also it means that Austin doesn't come ahead of the rock. Uh, it doesn't make it appeal like Austin is better than the rock at this moment because he beat and overcome the monster. Both Austin and the rock come out of the Royal Rumble with. With, with their reputations absolutely level and Kane's been elevated. Um, just, yeah, fantastic. On that front, the, the tease with Austin bloody face and the rock locking eyes just means that you should be making this match as the main event. Uh, I am sorry, Triple H. I am sorry, Kurt Angle. I am sorry, Chris Jericho. But sorry, when you have got two of the biggest stars in wrestling ever at your disposal at the same time, you put them in the match together. It's, you know, it's, it happened. It should have happened at WrestleMania 8 with Flair and Hogan. It didn't happen. And look what we got instead. Don't make that mistake again. Just put them in the main event of WrestleMania. And this tease and the crowd reaction to it, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, has definitely solidified their thinking. That's what they're, and that's what they're going to do. So, yeah, the only, the only downside in terms of a person that's probably come out of this looking a bit less is probably Undertaker and Rikishi, and I think it's probably what the program's going to go forward. But you know what? Uh, as, as, a, as a final stretch bit of the Royal Rumble, I thought this was absolutely spine-tinglingly good. Just, yeah, I, I think this... 
I personally think this is absolutely on par, if not just a little bit better than 92. Um, I can't vote the booking at all and the, and the guest stars with, with Honky and, and Big Show in particular and, the, and Aust- Austin's win is is probably just on par with Heenan and Flair's commentary. I mean, yeah, I, I can't fault this at all. Lacey, what did you make of the final stretch and the match overall? See, as Dan said, that moment when Scotty comes out to see what he's going to be matched with was one of those beautiful moments because you know that 90% of the roster coming out seeing, oh, fuck, Kane and Taker, bollocks. But then, again, as Dan said, so perfectly changed two minutes later when Austin comes out full of piss and vinegar and he's like, nah, I'll fucking have him. The whole trips thing is like, it's a great callback to earlier in the night as well as that whole thing that's been going on with them too since it was obviously revealed that he was the mastermind was perfect. Um, am I the only one that's really excited about the fact that Haku is about and I want him in the hardcore division just because can you imagine some of the fun that that's going to be with you know the fact that Haku no-sells everything that's just going to be fucking hilarious. Um, Billy Gunn got his moment to shine that he hasn't had since that time when he won King of the Ring. Yeah, remember that. Um, you're right with the Austin and Rock stare down. You know, as I said, I would look at it as where they are at the minute story-wise. You would say it'd be Austin Hunter. But that crowd reaction, that visual, and yeah, where the money is. I don't know how they get there, but that's what it should be for Mania. Um, yeah, it, you know, it, it is the second best Rumble of all time. And this end is, is part of what what makes it. it. It's it is just perfectly booked. You know, said ninety two just just takes it for me. I think it might just be because of my age at the time. Uh, it it has that sweet spot, but yeah, this this runs it fucking close. This was just an excellent match, and I think a lot of the time, I mean, everyone who's ever been on this show or any show like this has probably been guilty of sort of like fantasy booking with the benefit of hindsight after the fact um, and going back and saying, oh, I would have done this instead or this. I mean, I'm guilty of it myself near enough every damn pay-per-view. Um, but here, if you were to sit me down and say, right, you can rebook that Rumble match, what would you change? Nothing. Like, it, you wouldn't change anything about it. Um, that That sort of Kane being the monster and the Drew Carey stuff earlier in the show playing into that. The hardcore sort of um, third of the match um, because it was different for a rumble and it also, you didn't have the first 20 entrants all being that middle sort of period, your classic Royal Rumble match. It was a different first third. You had the traditional uh, middle and then you came along and had all the star power at the end with um, I mean you get to 25 and that's where Taker comes in at 25 and him and Kane clean house and we're back down to 
to three guys in the match, and they're Kane, Undertaker, and The Rock. So three of the four biggest names that are in the damn thing um, with Austin soon to come. Um, I don't think there's a single thing you could change about it. Obviously, maybe like the execution of the Hardy spot, but you wouldn't change it like the, the, the logic behind it. There's not much you can do about that once you've booked the damn thing. Um, Kane was so good in this match. I've, I think um, Kane kind of like the last... I don't know, however long it's been, but I feel like Kane's maybe gone under the radar when he is around and he's probably got more to give higher up the card than a lot of people give him credit for. Um, And I hope this is a sign that he will be in the upper echelons of the card moving forward. 11 eliminations in and over 53 minutes in the match. Um, Yeah, he looked great in this spot. They booked him really strong and it didn't hurt the match in fact it played into all the stories and like the fact that he was booked so strong (laughs) elevated the finish of the match because you get the stunner and the multiple chair shots and Austin finally like conquering that monster at the end and uh, being able to eliminate him for one of the best finishes to a Rumble match and final eliminations um I've seen as well. Um, yeah, I, I, and obviously I mentioned it right at the end there, but JR was just superb on commentary and um, he was so good. He just makes things feel real and feel like they matter. And like his passion just translates to the, the audience at home and elevates the show. Um and yeah, the final point is, yeah, it is tough because there's guys that have been in and around the main event scene for a long time, such as Triple H, such as Kurt Angle, that that probably in any other year deserve that Mania main event as much as, say, The Rock. But you, you we've just had a, a Hill v. Hill WWF Championship match at the Royal Rumble, and I think they would be absolutely crazy to do anything other than face v face Austin v rock at WrestleMania 17. It has to, it has to happen. Um, and it's been spoken about behind the scenes for a while now. I think that's where they'll go. Um, and it's right to do so. Um, Rikishi and Taker feels right for me in terms of my investment in the Undertaker's character. You could you could pivot another direction and have Kane and Taker as a tag team for a while if you wanted to do that rather than put Rikishi in there as a single with Taker. That would be fine. And I feel like there's a... I, I, I don't know what you do with Hunter and, and Kurt. I, I don't think you necessarily want them to face each other again. Um, especially without the title. But I, I kind of think that when you have two stars as good and as popular as Austin and Rock, there's there's kind of like all the positives of putting those two in there together outweighs any potential negative to anyone else on that card. Um, and it has to be done. And this pay-per-view just sort of confirmed that um, based on that stare down and the atmosphere in, in the arena when we got there. Um, yeah, this is one of the best Rumble matches ever. And I think I actually appreciate it a hell of a lot more for breaking it down and reviewing it with you guys. Obviously I loved it watching it, but going back over it just 
takes it up another level as well. Is when you think they've got to sell what the Astrodome seventy thousand seats for Mania, you can't go yeah. wrong with with that idea of Austin Rock because that's that's the proverbial puts butts in seats. And that will bring to a close our review of the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. So, uh, Dan, can I have your overall thoughts on the show? Uh, I think we know. <laughs> but also a score rating out of 10. Yeah, in summary, it's quite good. Uh, I would say it's worth a purchase. Um, and I think apart from the China, I can't fault the show. Like, that that's the only black mark on the show. And it's only three minutes. So... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know what more you kind of like. Uh, you know what, sod it. I think that it's so short, that match, I don't think you can take too much away from it. So I am going to go for 9.5 out of 10. But what, what, what do you want? You've got a five-star match with the ladder match. You've got an all-time great rumble. You've got a great heel-on-heel -heel title match. It's maybe kind of spoiled by the cat fighting, but... For my money, because, you know, work rate, hashtag work rate, it's still got everything I want in that regard. You've got a great opener, and because it's a rumble, the, the rumble match takes much, so much more weight off the show. So, for me, yeah, I'm going 9.5. Lacey, over to you. Same question. Overall thoughts and the score? So, as we said, when opening, this is the best Royal Rumble pay-per-view show ever may not have the best rumble match itself but as i said that's that's me 92 and i mean that's one of those of age and you know reverence but this comes damn fucking close as a rumble match as well um it's a you know, the, the whole china thing you know the fact that when in the UK, we had it with adverts anyway. You know, that's an ad break on Channel 4. So, you know, it didn't really matter. I'm not going to take into account on the score. It's a, it's a fucking practically perfect show. Nine and a half. And, you know, if you're one of these that loves a, a video or a newfangled idea of a DVD, it's a must-have. It's, it's It'd be there, like, straight away. And... I can guarantee I will watch this show at least a couple of times this year, let alone in years to come. Yeah, it, it's an absolutely outstanding show. Um, I'd written down 9 out of 10, but I think reviewing it and going back over it, and I think, Dan, it's important to kind of remember, you point out, it's literally three minutes, the China stuff, and Lacey, you're right, that's an ad break. I don't want to take a whole mark off just for that and this effectively apart from that is a near perfect show so i think 9.5 is probably where i'm going to come down as well um the ladder matches off the scale um the opening tag match is a lot of fun uh triple h and angle is really good um and obviously the royal rumble match and what's so special about this show is that all four of those matches are so different from each other as well so you have four like unbelievably good matches, but also four unbelievably different matches from each other. 
um, and Ivory China isn't really a match. It's just kind of an angle. And I, I think to take a full point off your score, which I had originally intended to do, would kind of do a disservice to how good the rest of the show was. Um, yeah, one of the best pay views I've covered um, on this show. Um, a must watch, a must own go out of your way to watch a show. And if you've already seen it and you've listened to this review, go back and watch it again. So coming out of the pay-per-view, one more aspect of WWF TV I'd like to discuss before we wrap up the show for the month. And that's the Austin Triple H contract signing for their match at No Way Out. That took place on the final Raw of the month. So Vince is out first for the contract signing. He announces a special stipulation until No Way Out, from the moment the contract signed, there can be no aggressive physical contact between Triple H and Stone Cold, unless in a sanctioned match. He also says that if either man engages in such contact, then both will be punished, regardless of who starts it. Triple H will be suspended for six months, while Austin will lose his WWF title match at WrestleMania. Vince proceeds to bring the participants out. Hunter makes his way first. He's got a attorney in toe. Austin makes his way out next but stands on the table, flips Triple H the bird and has some beer. Once everyone's eventually seated, Vince presents the contract to both. Austin takes the pen and signs the last page. Vince slides the contract over to Hunter for his signature but Hunter wants the lawyer to call over it first. The lawyer then points out something troubling so Triple H takes a look at the contract and takes his sweet time so Austin and Vince start to get a bit impatient. Austin stands up and eventually storms over to Triple H, who explains that he's just making sure he doesn't get screwed over, and finally seems to sign the last page and hands the contract back to Vince. He declares the match at No Way Out official. Everyone starts to leave when Triple H suddenly grabs the lawyer's briefcase and smashes Austin in the head with it. Vince watches in shock as Triple H pounds away on Austin, stomping him down and caps it off with a pedigree. With Austin down, Vince gets in, Triple H's face telling he's been suspended for six months and the crowd cheers. However, Triple H grabs the contract, puts it in Vince's face and shows him that he never actually signed on the line. Didn't sign the contract, so the stipulation didn't apply just yet. Triple H then grabs a pen and finish, finishes signing the contract and brags about brags to the fallen Austin uh, that line 316 says Austin can't touch him. And that is how we build towards No Way Out, a classic contract signing and uh, the dastardly hill get him on over the beloved babyface. Lacey. Um, when will wrestlers learn? Weddings, cakes and contracts. Always ends in fights. They can never just, you know, sign contracts nicely or have a nice cake nicely. Or a wedding never goes to plan. Damn wrestling logic. Dan, uh, what do you make of the build to No Way Out and this ongoing feud between Austin and Triple H? Uh, it's quite annoying that they had such a bad November because everything, everything they've done since January has been pretty epic. Um, I, Triple H is, is continuing to show himself to be like the next Ric Flair in terms of like the dastardly 
dirtiest player in the game who's you know smart and doing everything he can to, to outwit the baby faces which makes the eventual triumph even more smarter hopefully um but yeah i don't think this has been done before it's up in my head again i've not been wrestling watching wrestling as long as Lacey has been but yeah to to bring out more original angles to make triple h look like the most dominant heel they've had in the ring for you know for years i can't even think of someone who's been booked this more you know um strong in terms of his you know his his, his work rate and his mind so yeah I, I can't again i can't fault this it's it was pretty well executed again and it's going to make the match next month even more way more intriguing because obviously there's not going to be any tag matches between the two of them there's not going to be any you know weird stipulations to, to or anything like that so i'm looking forward to it it's going to be intriguing build going into into february because you know they can't get physical with each other which is always something interesting to play about with because it does go against wrestling logic um and it's because it's explicitly said as well which is, which is always good yeah as i said just to sort of on the point dan said there about you know not seeing it before it was a tendency back in the day of uh nwa sort of things of there would be a contract signing of you know need to get this match together and then there would be an attack so it is a callback to sort of 80s style storytelling um not really seen the fed um i think the only one i can remember in the fed was joko and brett when they when you could put him through the the table that they were signing with and i mean there was one with luger and brett when they were signing the who got the first match at Mania 10, uh, but yeah, it's more of a, a, a southern and sort of territory thing from back in the day. Well, it gives more weight to the to the idea that Trips is becoming the more, the new race or the new flair for the WWF. Yeah, it's definitely a callback to to a bygone era, which obviously we all know Trips is. Uh, a fan of yeah I, I think this was a genuinely excellent angle um and, and and you're right like it's a shame that november was so disappointing because uh they're kind of like they've just bounced right back into the biggest possible positive momentum role that you could imagine really um, and they've kind of everything they've done so far this year, apart from uh, I would say the, the China stuff that obviously we've covered and and like it, that's got its place. We don't to necessarily overshadow all the other uh, excellent things that are happening on the show, but um, it they've just nailed everything. Um, and this is like bringing back that old school angle type, as Lacey says, um, and just having the heel outsmart Austin in such a almost comical, conniving way um, just works perfectly and really plays into their storyline and just continues building momentum to what should be a huge match next month um 
I mean, it's pretty obvious to me that we're heading to Austin at WrestleMania and, and, and most likely as well at No Way Out, we're going to get Kurt versus Rock. So it's, it's pretty clear to me that we're going to be setting up Rock versus Austin for WrestleMania 17. There's only one winner um, at No Way Out in my book. Like, there's no way Triple H wins this match. Um I don't really see another path to a match that big at a show that important uh, than having both guys come off huge pay-per-view wins and The Rock winning the title and Triple H finally best, uh, sorry, Austin finally best in Triple H in this long-running feud and like this blood feud, which is kind of the perfect way to get to it before they focus on each other as we head to WrestleMania. So yeah, the Bulls really... Um, rolling along perfectly here. Um, they're firing on all cylinders again. I, I feel like this is kind of shaping up to be a really good WrestleMania, and like I, I think 99% of that is because I want to see Rock v Austin. I know we've had it at WrestleMania before, but we're in a very different place now to where we were then, and this match means a hell of a lot more now than it than it would have done back then. So, yeah, I think. Um, plenty of reasons to be excited on the WWF side of things at the moment as they go from strength to strength and for now I think that will do it for the January edition of the WWF show on the wrestling 20 years ago podcast Dan thank you so much for being on the show great to have you back on great analysis as always no problem at all looking forward to the upcoming Wrestlemania season this but judging by this, it's, uh, hopefully last year we had a great Royal Rumble and then a shite WrestleMania. So I can't imagine we're going to get that again for the third year in a row, but hopefully it doesn't happen this year. And Lacey, awesome to have you back on the WWF side of things, bringing your great contributions to the Fed. It's, uh, it's been a treat having you back over. So yeah, if, if every time I come over here we get the shows this good, then I'm, I might stay. Yeah, I think, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, the future seems bright on this side of the fence for now compared to some others. Um, I mean, the writing isn't totally on the wall, but I mean, there's definitely a trajectory in the Fed that isn't necessarily in place on the other editions of this show. Um, and yeah, they yeah. said ECW, um, there is no shows. Um, until the pay-per-view in March, even if that happens. So, yeah, um, Philly's going to have a lot of free time for the next month. Yes. Um, yeah, so we're on the road to WrestleMania, to use that horrible WWF tagline. But um, I think, yeah, we've got a couple of shows before we get there. Next month, February, we'll be uh, covering No Way Out. And then, uh, and then, uh, WrestleMania I believe falls on the first of April, so it won't be in the March shows either. But um, so yeah, one more pay per view in a couple of months before we get there. But I think already just having the concept of Rock v Austin at the top of that card, um, I'm looking forward to it. But for now, um, I have been your host, Chris White. Thank you very much for listening, and until next time, goodbye. <laughs>